So I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to read a couple verses there in just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 35. I want to give you something for just a little while tonight that I trust will, will help you. And uh, for those of you who are grandparents and so on, for you to be a help perhaps to your children. And uh, it's about this matter of standards and the home. Standards and the home. Uh, you know, we need to do a better job at passing our standards along to our children. I mean, really, I believe that the things that I believe are what's taught in the Scripture. And when we sought to teach those things to our children, it was with the idea that they do them too. That was the idea. They're good enough. They're good enough for my wife and I. They're good enough for my children. They should be good enough for my grandchildren. Unfortunately, as you find most all movements, unfortunately, go from solidly believing God's word to eventually explaining away so much of it that their children and grandchildren don't believe any of it. Because either it means what it says or it doesn't. But how do you pass that along? I think maybe sometimes part of our problem is we just expect our children to get it. We just expect them to understand it. But there is a reason why we're different. Now, I'm not going to cover that reason so much in 1 Peter chapter 2, near as much as what I'm going to cover is setting standards in the home. Uh, Now, granted, they they may not hold to everything that you'll hold to, but we need to hold the line as much as possible because if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And there are a whole lot of denominations that are out there today that now are just hotbeds for liberalism and at one time they were all fundamentalist. They may not have been independent Baptists but they were fundamentalist in believing what the scripture said and going by it. So let me give you a couple verses before we get into Jeremiah chapter 35. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19 God said of Abraham for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken unto him. Joshua said to the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, he said, but if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods in the Amor- of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And by the way, they did serve the Lord as long as Joshua was alive and his children in his house. But after that, there was a generation that knew not God. And maybe part of it's because we just expect our children to get it. But they need to know more than just what the standard is. They need to know why the standard is. And they need to know the difference between the standard that comes from God's word and the standards that we feel are best for our home as well. Because truly, as much as we try to serve the Lord and follow the Lord, there are times when society brings on some new stuff. And how do you respond to it? Like, for instance, I believe one of the problems that we have today is because we accepted all the modern technology. We like the toys, we like the phones, we like the, the full computers that we can have in our hands, and we never considered the damage that can be done to the children. Many of them are not emotionally ready for their own cell phone. 
or their own supercomputer. Our access to what all is out there. And it's actually ended up costing some people their lives. Not just having their children going astray, but having their children caught up in the webs that are woven by the people of wickedness that are on the internet. And it's all over out there. I mean, there are whole sections of major law enforcement agencies that deal with, inter, uh, with internet predators. Whole sections. People are missing all over the country. Young people are missing. I read that story. I mentioned the story to you a couple weeks ago about how just in the month of January, not January, uh, month of September, that there were 50 public school kids missing just in Cleveland, Ohio, and the police had no clue about any of them, that, which means that they more than likely were not people who were, you know, taken by a dad who separated from the mom or anything like that. They don't know what happened to them. And over 1,000 just in Cleveland, Ohio, 1,000 since January to today. That's one city. Think about that all across the country. How many thousands of young people are missing? What on earth is happening? Plus, I, I was seeing, uh, I think it was something on YouTube, uh, and maybe it had something to do with that so-called peace concert that they were having in Israel when Hamas attacked them. But they showed literally these type of uh, get-togethers where it is mass, just masses of people moving up and down, zombied out to music and drugs and all that. It is amazing. That stuff goes on all around the world. And young people from every country participate in those things. And unfortunately, some of those, no doubt, from, come from Christian homes and should know better. I believe one of the tremendous examples of a family passing on to their children standards that they had from God is found for us in Jeremiah chapter 35. When he said, the word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, go unto the house of the Rechabites and speak unto them and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jehazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brethren and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Maasiah, the son of Shalem, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups. And I said unto them, drink ye wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers." Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, 
Neither have we vineyards, nor fields, nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come and let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. Notice verses 18 and 19. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according unto all that he hath commanded you. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, son of Rechab, shall not want for a man to stand before me forever. Now the Rechabites were, of course, a family not of Israel. If you study their history and follow it through, for instance, in First Chronicles and the lists that are there, you find that the Rechabites come from the family of the Kenites. The Kenites were a family that went along with Israel on a number of things, but they were not a tribe in Israel. Jonadab, one of the later sons of Rechab, he gave his family some things that they were going to do. As a matter of fact, you find that they were related to Moses' father-in-law. Now, you put all that together. Here's a man, not an Israelite, but a man who had been a blessing to Israel. In his own family, he came up with some rules. Now, some of them were in matters of right and wrong. Some of them were not right and wrong. He just forbid his family to do it. Now, here's the amazing thing. God got his people into the land that was prepared especially for them to have a land where they would worship God according to his word. You read through the book of Deuteronomy, God's desire was that God's people would want to obey his word in all things. And they only lasted one generation. Here are the Rechabites, not even Israelites, the Rechabites from the family of the Kenites. And they're giving a rule by their father, Jonadab. And 300 years later, they're still following everything that their predecessor, Jonadab, told them not to do. And God says, because this family has been able to follow even more than what God's people could not follow. Rahab was not going to want for a man forever. There would always be somebody around from that line. God would not let them be wiped out. Now, it is amazing that anything would amaze the Lord. There are times we see Jesus marveled. He marveled at a number of things, but we're not preaching on those, so I won't go into them tonight. The amazing thing about this man, Jonadab, and his whole family is that 300 years later, Jonadab had been around a long time before that. As a matter of fact, he is the man that when Jehu went about to kill um, uh, the family of Ahab and to kill Jezebel, that it was, uh, it was Jonadab that Jehu got 
to get up in the chariot with him. And he said to Jonadab, is your heart right like my heart is right? Well, Jonadab's heart was far more right than Jehu's. It's an amazing thing that he would be the one that Jehu would seek out to kill a bunch of Baal's prophets and then, then to also take out the family of Ahab. So I want you to notice a few things. If, if you're going to have, first of all, you've got to have some goals for your family. Do you want your family to know Christ the same way you do? I mean, we've got a word that is eternal. God doesn't change his word for different people. It's the same for everybody. God is no respecter of persons. My, one of my favorite verses, at least the verse that I deal with my children about, my own daughters, is 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That has been our desire from the time that we had children. And I realize God never takes away their free will. They can do wrong tomorrow. They could go the other way tomorrow. Job understood that, which is why he continually offered sacrifice for his own children in case they cursed God in their heart. Now, we understand. We can make, I can make a wrong decision today. I could decide to start doing it. You can do the same thing. And yet somehow we want to think that our children can't and won't. But unfortunately, throughout history, many have. And it's possible for our children, too. We need to understand that. Therefore, we need to make a commitment. What is our main goal? You see, you understand having a family like the Rechabites, it doesn't happen just because you want it to happen. It does not happen by accident. And God gives us some ways by which we're most likely to have it happen correctly in our own homes. The responsibility concerning the home, lies with the parents. Now, I want to be very careful that you understand this. It, this is very important because whenever kids go astray, the first thing that parents want to do is they want to blame themselves. It's my fault. And you've heard me say many times, it's not your fault. You may not have been the perfect parent. I don't know any of us that have always been right on everything that we've done. We've tried to do right. We've wanted to do right. But hey, we're human, and uh, God even describes that for us in Hebrews chapter 12. But when they decide to do wrong, that's on them. I come from a drunkard's home. Why aren't I a drunkard? I'm not a drunkard because I made some decisions. I made some decisions before I even got saved. I wasn't going to drink. I saw what it did to my family. I made a number of decisions. I made a decision to get saved. I made a decision to follow God. I made a decision to live for God. And now, if I did that coming from a drunkard's home, I would think a child from a Christian home could make the same decision. But I understand as well, they can also make the decision to do wrong. And that's not necessarily the parent's fault. Now, you might be able to think of some things that you perhaps didn't do right that had an impact on them. But you know what? Even if you had been a drunkard, they still could have decided to do right. That's on them in their relationship to the Lord. People always want to blame everybody else for their problems. When the reality is, it's the decisions that we make that get us into the fixes that we get into. Now, the responsibility concerning the home does lie with the parents. And we have some great examples in the scripture. Let's face it, Noah was a great example. Here, the entire society 
was in debauchery and sin. The entire society, all of the culture around Noah and his family was wicked. It's why God sent the flood. The world was so bad that God would destroy it all, but Noah and his family. What a great father that he was. What a great example. Joshua was a great example of standing for the Lord. He made some commitments. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, Zacharias. God gave Zacharias and Elizabeth, his wife, gave him John the Baptist. Why? He knew he could trust him. I mean, this was a couple sold out to God. And we see that when we read the first uh, 10 verses there in the book of Luke. A tremendous dad. But we've got some sorry examples of parenting too. David was a sorry example of parenting. He may have been a man after God's own heart, but when it came to his children, we see a number of differences between David's life and his children's life. David learned character. David learned work. David learned hard work, and he learned danger in his house. His children were brought up in the palace. I mean, you take a look at Amnon. What a failure. Raped his own daughter, or sister. Raped his own sister. Listen, here, here he's able to grow up in the palace not having to work, and he's got playtime with another Jonadab, his nephew, or I'm sorry, his cousin. So here he is in the palace. Everything is his that he wants. What a sorry person. Then Absalom ends up murdering him, plus Absalom leads rebellion against his family and against his dad. What a loser. Adonijah later, another loser. David really failed his family as a parent. But his family was still responsible for the wrong decisions that they made. Eli was a poor example as a parent. Here his children were eating of the sacrifices that were meant solely for the Lord, not for them. And they'd fix it up real good and bring it to dad. Dad would eat it too. No wonder that he couldn't do more than just rebuke them. He should have removed them from the priesthood and he didn't do it. As a result, God had them killed in battle by the Philistines. Eli, not a good example for a parent. Jacob, man, Jacob, the supplanter, over and over again. This guy is a trickster. No wonder his own kids, when they go to wipe out the city of Shechem, they would do that and use trickery and supplantery in order to do that. They had seen that in dad. So Jacob was not a very good example as a parent. Now, we have some mediocre examples. You've got Isaac. Isaac, he's in the hall of faith, yes. And Isaac blessed his children correctly, although some things had to be done for him to even do that right. But he was basically kind of a mediocre example. We see that in Scripture. You remember Isaac played favorites with his two sons and created problems in his own home. He loved, he loved Esau while his wife loved Jacob. And both boys knew it. You remember the old Smothers brothers and their main routine was mom loved you best. Well, that went on all the time in the house of Isaac. And that never should have happened. So standards in your home. I mean, let's face it. It comes down to this, parents. You're the lawgiver in your home. What standards your kids have early on, at least when you are able to enforce things in your home, are going to be things that you gave them. You are the teacher. And you're also the enforcer. But there's much more to it than that. 
This calls for, and I like the term, parenting on purpose. Now, please understand, there are some things that God has set in motion. Like, for instance, God has given man a free will. Isn't that right? God never takes that away. Aren't you glad that you chose Christ as your Savior? God gave you a free will so that you could do that. Nobody here is dying and going to hell because God wouldn't let you. All you had to do is take Christ as Savior to have eternal life. That's true for everybody. And you have a free will. You don't have to do wrong. You can do right. That's what Romans chapter 6 is all about. You can make the right choices. And yes, it's a daily battle. We covered that in a series on holiness. So, but understand, if God's not going to take away their free will, you can't either. You say, how about train up a child the way she go? And when he, he is old, he will not depart from it. I've heard people try to say, well, see, this will just make it so that they have to. No, no, God doesn't take away their free will. But you put the right things in them, they'll have things to come back to. It's one of the reasons why I've told you that when kids go astray, don't leave where you're at. Stay where you're at. I got news for you. When the prodigal's father had his son leave him, the son knew where to come back to to find dad. Dad didn't go down to the hog pen with him. Dad didn't decide, hey, it's time to start drinking and carousing because after all, my son went astray. He stayed true. And that's what parents should do. Just stay true so that they know where to come back to. It's parenting on purpose. And by the way, husbands and wives, you've got to be together on what standards are in the home. If your kids can play one against the other, they will. The best kids will do that. The be very best kids will do that. You've got to be together on the standards in your home. You've got to be get together on the discipline in your home. Talk about it. Work it out. Don't talk about it in front of them. You get it settled together. If you don't have it settled together, they'll think then it doesn't matter. Well, these things do matter. Well, what are the basis for standards? What are standards? Well, first of all, the first standard should be the word of God. That's got to be number one. Yes, therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. If God says something is wrong, it's wrong. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. God says it's wrong, it's wrong, period. If God says it's right, it's right, period. That just settles it. The word of God has got to be the basis for everything. But everything is not covered directly in the word of God. So there's some things you're going to have to make some rules about in your own home. The reality is someone has to draw the line someplace. And let me say, wherever you draw the line, you need to enforce it. Or you become liars. Do you understand? If you draw the line here, it's kind of like in this country. How in the world? We have speed limits in a certain place. We got to put up signs to say speed limit is such. But everybody knows you can at least drive five miles an hour over. And in some place, depending on the policeman, you can drive 10 miles an hour over. And they won't stop you. I've ridden with someone. I was a chaplain who said, matter of fact, I heard, uh, I heard one sheriff's deputy, I won't say which county it was at, who made this statement. He says, I never stop a person going 10 miles an hour or under. He said, and I still write a lot of tickets. So what does that tell you? The speed limit isn't what it says on the thing. The speed limit is what the enforcer says it is. Isn't that what it comes down to? 
If you tell a child you do that and you'll get a spank and they do it and they don't get one, you're a liar. And the child knows that. Don't threaten them and then not do it. And by the way, you'll save yourself a lot of <laughs> if you get them the first time. Whatever their discipline's going to be. But wherever you draw the line, enforce it. For instance, don't touch means don't touch. You tell a little child, you put... See, we were a family. We never put the knickknacks up. You know, those little knickknacks, those little things that you buy at a little store and you put them out there. Might be crystals, might be cute little things that are on the tables. Uh, we never put them up because we were afraid our children would knock them over. As soon as they got close to them, don't touch. What happened if they touch? No, 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 right away. Don't touch. They learn not to touch. If you say don't touch... Teach them not to touch. But you'll find, here's what, here's what especially if they're boys, uh, but girls will do it too. You tell them don't, like for instance, they get close. Here's a nice little figurine and they get a little close. You say, now, don't you touch that. Now their attention is there and they talk and they sing and they sing and they and just kind of carry on. Well, buddy, as soon as they touch that thing, you better get them right then. As soon as they touch it. If you let them touch it three times before you do it, you've told them you're a liar. They don't know where the line's at. But if you draw the line and you enforce the line, they know where the line's at. There's peace in that. They did an experiment in schools many, many years ago when some of these people came along and said, you know, we need to take the fences down around the playground. Because the children ought to just feel free. So they took the fences down. And you know what they found out? They found out that the majority of the children, whereas before, they would even go to the fences and, you know, be all around. They'd use the whole playground. When the fences were taken down, they had no boundaries. And they huddled closer to the center as a group. Because they didn't know where safety was. They were unsure. In your home, your children need to know the boundaries. And it's up to you to teach them that. It's up to us who are older to teach our kids to teach their kids that. As much as we can. With our limited authority in those homes. Now, and there are going to be some things that you're just going to think, you know, I don't think this is good for them. So they're not to do it. And I mentioned this the other day. One of the decisions that my wife and I came to years ago was that we didn't want our daughters to have Barbie dolls. I just didn't think a little girl ought to be dressing and undressing people that look like grown-up people. And uh, what we wanted to do, we'd get them baby dolls. They could have baby dolls, but they couldn't have Barbie dolls. That's long before the movie or anything else came out. Uh, they just weren't going to have them. Now, that was a rule in our home. I'm not saying it would need to be one in your home, but guess what? We didn't let them have one, even when their grandparents... Even though we told the grandparents, don't get them Barbie dolls, they'd still get them, send them in the mail. My wife would go through the mail, find that they had brought the wrong thing for Christmas, and we'd box it back up, send it back to them, and say, if you want them to have a present from you, you're going to have to give them something different than that. See, you understand, it's just like I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow anybody to smoke in my house because I didn't want to smell that stink for the next four days. And so my dad smoked, my mom smoked, family members smoked. Not at our house, though. Wasn't going to happen. 
I love them, bless their hearts, but that was a rule in the home. Of course, we taught our daughters not to smoke at all. Uh, but you're going to come up with some things like that. For instance, when our children were growing up, there, there were no cell phones. But they couldn't even have a regular phone, just a regular dial phone. They couldn't have that in their room. We had two phones. We had one in our bedroom uh, because I didn't want to get up and walk out to the outer room to answer the phone if somebody called me at night. And the other phone was out in the main way between the dining room and the kitchen. And we felt if our children had anything to say to somebody else they didn't want mom and dad to hear, they didn't have any business saying it. I cannot believe parents today allowing their child to have a cell phone in their room that their friends can call at any time. Send your child to the room. Oh, good, I get to talk to my friends. They don't need those friends 24-7. They don't need them. They need family. They need home. It needs to be a home. But today, these young people have got access to friends that aren't really good for them all the time. You have to, but see, you've got to set that in your home. I, I can't set it for you. And you say, well, everybody else is able, their kids are able to do it, not mine. Right. You know, that thing where the kids say, but mommy, everybody, everybody can do it. No, not everybody, you can't. For instance, those of you who have children, you're going to have to decide when and how and what they can date. I said what? I know what I was saying. That, that's one of those things that was not a mistake. That was correct. Now, of course, we made it very plain in the churches where I pastored with our, our kids growing up that they couldn't date until after they were 17, and then they would have to have chaperones, mom and dad. And the boy that asked them out for a date would have to pay for our meal, too. That never happened. We didn't have to worry about them going out. Those were the rules. All right? I'm not going to have my, my daughter alone with some, some teenager that has no control of his hormones whatsoever. Man, that's nuts. What's wrong with people? But we set the rule and we just kept it. We wanted them to, that when they had kids, that they would protect their kids. A whole lot of young people ruined their lives because mom and dad didn't have a clue. As a matter of fact, you've got to be careful about sending them over to somebody else's house. Let me just say, especially, especially if you've got daughters. Of course, today it may be just as dangerous for the boys too. I don't know. But the reality is they don't need to be alone together that much. There needs to be supervision around. That keeps a lot of young people from doing evil. You take the best young people in the world, and if they're alone together enough, they'll get in trouble. They need supervision. Guess what? That's why God gave them parents. Hallelujah. That's good. Technology. Check it out before you allow it. Think it through. Or you'll lose your children. You do not want the internet teaching your children the facts of life. I don't want the public schools doing it either. You've got to be very, very careful. They're your children. I mean, and I, 
I agree with Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, what are the basic ingredients? I must move along. Basic ingredients of standards. Number one, doing right. What did he say of Abraham? I know him that he will command his children, his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment. Our daughters never, never, ever asked us, are we going to church today? On Sunday, they knew they'd be in church. Wednesday night, they knew they'd be in church. There was never a question about it. People who have to ask that question are people who are not faithful to church. We would just be there. And I don't know what would have happened if they ever would have asked me. I'm, I'm sure if I asked them, they'd think probably would have gotten a spanking. I don't know. I was really a sweet parent on most all things. Uh, serving the Lord. Children need to grow up to serve the Lord. I think it's great when moms and dads bring their children with them out soul winning. Or being involved in visiting, visiting the ones in the nursing homes or visiting, uh, visiting the sick and infirm. It's wonderful. Teach your children to have a heart for the ministry. I think a lot of preachers make the mistake of trying to keep their kids from the impact of the ministry. We had a family leave us one time because their children were in junior church and they heard some of the bus kids curse. So they left the church. Do you know the places these kids come from? Do you know what a lot of these kids hear every day of this world? I didn't believe that those bus kids could hurt my children that way. Here, we teach them not to curse, but they've got to learn it. I'm talking about these bus kids. They've got to learn it, and they will. At least they've got a place that will teach them right about that. My child serving the Lord in that situation, they understood the difference. They saw the difference. And in that controlled situation, I, I mean, I don't like cussing in front of my kids. Not me, but, you know. <laughs> See, I knew what some of you were thinking as soon as I said it. <laughs> gotcha there, preacher. And then obedience. Ye that love the Lord hate evils, what the scripture says. Jesus said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he does that loveth me. Teaching them to obey to please the Lord. And, and I would want it, and I, I think our daughters most of the time, a lot of times, they didn't do wrong because they wanted to please mom or dad. One of us. That's also why I wanted people in the church that were godly people, not gossip people, but godly people. I wanted them to get close to my children so my children wouldn't want to disappoint them either. I felt it was just an extra layer of protection that could be a hurt. And then to love them. Now, see, I was brought up in a home where I do not remember ever hearing my dad say, I love you. Now, you got to understand, I, and I don't hold that against my dad. We weren't I love you people. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody here know what I'm saying? Not being I love you people. Uh, we weren't emotional. I didn't cry. We didn't cry. Dad said men don't cry. So boys weren't to cry either. Suck it up. My wife said to our daughters, there's no blood. Don't cry. You're fine. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Our daughters have always heard from their daddy and from their mama, I love you. That was a continuous, it's not hard to say. And you may not be an I love you person, but you can still say it. And if you got to practice it, practice it. Your children need to hear that you love them. I think some people substitute toys for love. 
And somehow they think that giving them certain toys means you love them. And that's not how it translates. But they need to hear that you love them. By the same token, they need to hear you pray for them. Which is why family devotions are so important. They need to hear you pray for them. Dad, they need to hear you pray for them. And I do believe if you can read, then they need to hear you read the scripture at home. They need to know the scriptures, not just church. Scriptures at home. And so you do that. We memorize scripture. Both of our daughters, by the time they were three, knew over 100 verses of scripture. They knew the whole Romans road. They knew how to give it. They knew 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Psalm 1, Psalm 100, Psalm 150. Uh, we, Psalm 23, uh, they knew those by heart. We learned those in family devotions. We went through them. Uh, even before they understand it, they'll understand those words one day, but we wanted that book to be special to them, so we did that. Loving them. It's because I love them that I discipline them. Kathy came to me one time, and she said, this was... <laughs> This is between spankings. And she said to me, uh, Daddy, I know why you spanked me. And I thought, this is going to be good. Why? Why do I spank you, honey? Because you love me. I said, that's exactly right. Of course, every time before I gave her a spanking, I told her I loved her. And the reason I did it, because the Bible says, He that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And I tell him, I sure don't want to spank you. I hate having to spank you. But you see, I love you. And you need to learn right from wrong and want to do right. I mean, we gave a spanking. Man, there was, there was a time of loving when we were done. I didn't just spank my children, send them out to play, or spank my children, send them to their room. When the spanking was done, the chastening was done. And then they would sit on my knee, and we would just love. Just hug and love for a while. You see, this matter of love is very, very real, very, very powerful. Every child needs to know that. Now, you know, these boys, they get to a place where the last thing they want their dad to do is to kiss them on the top of the head when they get out of school because their friends will see it and make fun of them. Well, that's okay. But let me tell you something. In family devotions, in your home, it shouldn't be a problem. Those kisses are very special, and they mean a lot. One day you'll be gone, and you'll be surprised what will mean the most to them if you love them. We have the example of Jonadab. I've already mentioned some things. I'll give you just a couple of things and we'll be done. Uh, his personal testimony, of course, was that he loved the Lord. He was known for his zeal for God, which is why Jehu, when he's about to kill Jezebel and the family of Ahab, Jeze uh, Jonadab was known for his zeal for the Lord. And truly, if you love the Lord and you're faithful to God, you'll be known for it. If you're one of those people that are witnessing to others and telling, you'll be known for that. That's good. And your children need to know that in you. They need to see it in you. It's good if they're there. So he was known for his zeal. He was sought out by others. When others wanted to do right, they would think, hey, John and Dad will appreciate this. That's the kind of person that he was. His children's testimony, if you look back here in chapter 35, verse 8, Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us to drink no wine all, the day, all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters. Their testimony was they obeyed. And they kept it. They, just, they didn't just keep it till they got out of the house. 
they had the same standards. You go down to verse 16, and it says there, because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people hath not hearkened unto me. God's saying, look at, look at the Rechabites. The Rechabites have kept Jonadab's word. Why can't my people keep mine? God wants us to keep his word. Since he wants us to keep his word, then we ought to do it and train our children to do it as well. His children's testimony. God honors young people who keep the values of godly fathers. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. You know, you can say what you want about the Amish, but until the TV started doing special shows on them, they at least stood by what they've practiced for generation after generation after generation. But now, that TV with all their reality shows, now that they are moving into the Amish community, you're going to find that community being destroyed from the things that they've stood for all these years. Hollywood does that to everybody it gets a hold of. How about the Independent Baptist Duggar family? That's what Hollywood does. Their greatest mistake was they got involved with Hollywood. And that's a shame. You ought to pray for them. It's a shame the mess that's been made out of that whole thing. Yes, our music, our dress, our habits, our pleasures, they're different. We're saved people. We ought to live like it. We ought to be it. His rules of life, I'll just make this mention, will be done. Jonadab's rules in life included a denial of some pleasures that everybody else did. When everybody else was able to stay in the cities, they were told that they were to still be wanderers. Now, God didn't tell them that. Jonadab told them that. And here, they could have been, they could have been in the city. That would have been fine. But they obeyed their father when it came to drinking wine. Their father told them not to do it, so they didn't do it. For 300 years, they didn't do it. They stuck by the commands of their father. God couldn't get his own people to do that. But here, they stood by it. It's all right for your children not to do everything everybody else does. It's okay. It's, it's just okay. And you may have good reasons for one thing over another. That may be fine. Um, let me give you an example. You know, among the Christian community, there are a number of different feelings, for instance, about what you do at Christmas time. What do we do as Christians? Well, I do know this. We're to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his birth. Amen. Now, I know some people, they are death on Christmas trees. They call them devil trees. Shouldn't have a Christmas tree. We have a Christmas tree. But we don't have Santa Claus anywhere in the house. Christmas has nothing to do with Santa Claus. There have always been trees around. Nothing wrong with a tree. But if you don't have a tree, that's okay. You say, no, I don't want to have a tree at my place. I think that's too close to what I was used to before I got saved. Fine, don't have one. That's okay. I mean, you've got to set some parameters in your family, in your home. 
Now, we have one, but we don't have Santa Claus. I, I never forget my sister calling me one time. She was, at, at that time, she was attending a Methodist church. And um, she said, oh, the pastor preached a wonderful message on Sunday night on the true meaning of Christmas. And when he was done, Santa Claus came in and gave presents to the kids. I think, this doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. But I understand that. You might have, uh, well, there's a lot of places our kids wouldn't be able to go. If you don't allow them to go to a pro baseball game or football game, there's nothing wrong with them not going. That's okay. You've got to look out for your kids. And if you feel that's a spiritual danger, don't let them do it. It's your home. It's your home. And you can tell them why. Tell them why. Well, and by the way, not just because I said so. Tell them why. If you want them to think that you're just an ogre, don't ever tell them why. And how are they going to tell their children, well, they have them why. Why grandpa didn't let you do it, but you're letting them do it. And now that does create confusion. Let them know why. They ought to get a lifestyle to work. These people were to be nomads living in tents. Now think of the problems that they had cleaning up the house. And they had to keep picking it up and moving it and going to other places, all of that. Our key word today is security, it seems like. But God gives us security when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God is our security, always. But the point, a lifestyle of work. Children need to have jobs to do. If you want to pay them an allowance, that's up to you. That's fine. But I think they also need to learn the value of doing things around the home because it's our home. I don't have to pay them. I mean, man, we pay taxes on it. We had to pay a lot of money in order to have a home for them, for them to work in the home. Good night. We give them free food. Wasn't free to us. Why in the world should I have to give them an allowance? But I'll tell you what, if I gave them an allowance, they'd have to tithe on it. They'd have to give to missions with it. Now, that would be the reason I would give them an allowance to teach them how to tithe. Also teach them how to save. I mean, there are reasons for that. But we want to we just parents by osmosis. And you can't parent like that. You've got to do it on purpose. And then pray that God will somehow undo the mistakes that you made the things that you said, and that God will be real to your children. Now, if you don't show him as being real to you, you're going to have a hard time showing him to be real to your kids. But you have to do that. And as grandparents, we need to try to be a help to our kids. But not being a nag. Don't you just hate that? I don't want to be a nag. But I do think that I've learned some stuff. Of course, you know, I had it easy. I mean, I had two wonderful daughters. And uh, they got their share of whippings. But, you know, there was no generation gap with us. We enjoyed them in their teenage years. And I think they enjoyed us in their teenage years. We enjoyed them in college. Boy, did we enjoy them in college. That was 560 miles away. <laughs> and we had some special times. We'd go up to Bible college on, uh, before uh, Thanksgiving, and we'd have a Thanksgiving meal there in the prophet's chambers in the dorm. Very special to us. 
We had a lot of good, good things like that. And you can too. But if you let their best friends raise them and not you, you allow the TV to raise them and not you, you allow the Internet to raise them and not you, it's not only going to be hard as teenagers, but it's going to be more difficult once they get out of the house. Parenting on purpose for the glory of God. Father, we've had a good day, and these people have been so patient tonight. My, we had a number of things going on tonight. And now this time, I hope to be a help. God, I pray you'd use this in our lives to be what not only you want us to be, but what you want our children to be as well. Uh, Lord, bless in the invitation. Your perfect will be done in Jesus' name.